1: Hello, hello, hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this week I'm joined by fellow personal trainer Emily Decker to discuss how to reconnect with your body. Emily is a trauma-informed personal trainer based in LA and I have admired her work. She creates brilliant content around reframing exercise and intuitive movement and she just does some brilliant stuff. So I had to have her insights on the podcast. But before we get into that, a couple of announcements. You may have seen if you follow me on Instagram that there is a follow-up to Train Happy, the book. And for those of you who, I should say a follow-up, it's more of an accompaniment to the Train Happy book. For those of you who read Train Happy, listen to the podcast, are kind of like, yeah, I really like this idea of intuitive movement, but I'm not quite sure how to implement it in my life. Then I have created the Train Happy Journal. It's out for pre-order now. It comes out on December 2nd, and it is one of the things I'm most proud of. This journal will not only recap and expand on the intuitive movement principles as written about in Train Happy, but it will also give you 30 days of journal prompts and tasks to help you kickstart your intuitive movement journey, as well as you've got tons of pages to write your Train Happy moments. So I'm so excited. Um... This journal to come out. If you head to my Instagram, you can see a preview of it over on my Instagram. I just I just can't wait so if you would like to pre-order I've added the link to the show notes um and every pre-order helps when you release something new especially pre-orders massively help and support the book and just get the word of the train happy message out there and it's coming out just in time for Christmas so if you are thinking of gifting train happy um to someone else who you think could really benefit from it, this could be a great um, addition to that. But also, if you wanted to gift yourself something, which I always think is the most important, please make sure you pre order your copy. Okay, the other thing I have to remind you about is that we do have spaces left for the, the September 2022 train happy greece retreat we're going to be going to the island of crete and staying just outside the town of Chania in a gorgeous villa with our private chef doing workshops on intuitive movement going on boat trips exploring the local town spending time with like-minded people and um, for five nights it's going to be amazing and the earlier you book the better the payment plans are for those spots. So make sure you find out all the information um, is once again linked in the show notes. There's a ton of stuff packed in there every week. I hope you do check it out. Um, but before we get into this week's chat with Emily, of course we have to do Train Happy Trooper of the week. So this week's Train Happy Trooper is Kiefer. And Kiefer says my train happy moment of the week is I've been going to circuit classes where weights are being used. I found that I have been using heavy weights and it causes a strain on my arms and I would feel pressure each class to push myself harder and continue using heavy weights but for class this week I went down to a lower weight and listened to my body rather than pushing myself to the absolute limit I let myself listen to my body, signaling to rest a bit more, and could enjoy myself while fully moving and exercising. Kiefer, I love this. I think this is so relevant to today's conversation um, with Emily about how we can listen to our bodies, honor our bodies, reconnect with our bodies. And I love that you let the ego go, really decided and focused on what was you know, best for you rather than worry about what anyone else was doing or thinking. I think that is brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing. If you want to be featured as Train Happy Trooper of the Week, remember you can direct message us on Instagram at train happy Podcast. You can send us an email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com, and you can hear more from Kiefer as our Train Happy Trooper of the Week over on Instagram. She's answering more questions about her favourite episodes and where she listens to the podcast, Um, and you can find it all over on at Podcast on Instagram. Okay, enough from me. Um, Big intro today, we had a lot to talk about, but it's time to get into this week's chat with the brilliant Emily Decker. Emily, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's early in LA. Well, you've got up. It's seven a.m. where you are. Um, you said this isn't a big deal time-wise for you, but for me that would be very early, and I would struggle to form a sentence. So I really appreciate you getting <laughs> up and doing this.
0: Well, we'll see how my sentences go, but I generally wake up pretty early uh, because I have early clients or classes. So.
1: Yeah, by seven, I'm, you know, a couple cups of coffee in, so. <laughs> that was my next question. Are you a coffee drinker? But clearly, yes.
0: I am, but I have cut back quite a bit. So I'd say like a year ago, I was having maybe four cups of coffee a day. And now I'm down to two and they're half decaf, which I'm very proud of myself that that has been sufficient.
1: I'm not, Um, I, I want to preface this by saying I am jealous of people who drink coffee because I think like it looks like a cool thing to do and I, I'm jealous of coffee culture because I'm not part of it. Um, so I have oh FOMO no. from that but I don't like coffee and I also do feel fairly smug that as a personal trainer who did many early starts I've never once had a cup of coffee to get me going and I think this is partly why my brain doesn't work early in the morning. Um, But yeah I am I, like... <laughs> All my kind of personal trainer friends are like, "How on earth do you do this job without caffeine?" I'm like, I just don't like it. I don't drink tea, which is also caffeinated. I don't. I don't like it. I don't like any of them. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm, but I'm jealous. I'm like jealous of the ritual of it, and you know all that stuff. Jealous and a little smug. <laughs> jealous, but with a side of smugness. Yes, <laughs> I'll just drink it. my water. Um, And people always think like, oh, is it a health reason? I'm like, no, I just think it tastes disgusting. So yeah, that's my, that's my reason. I mean, I can see that. I don't know why
0: it tastes good to me, like objectively. Anyway, we could talk about it for an hour. We could,
1: we could, we could. (laughs) Um, That isn't what we're here to talk about, believe it or not. Um, I wanted to chat to you because we are both trainers. I follow you on Instagram and... I just love your work, I love how you think about fitness because I feel like we're really on the same page about reframing stuff and you often come up with really great um, perspectives on different things and we, we will get into that because I think your reframing is really helpful but before we do, I would love to know more about you and your journey to working in fitness because my understanding is you started in social work or at least that's what you did a degree in so... Yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah,
0: I graduated with my master's in social work from University of Southern California in 2013 and kind of immediately just had a an identity crisis. I you know, I've always had some mental health struggles since I was very small and I was diagnosed with OCD when I was um, a child when I was seven, seven, I believe. And, and so some stuff was just really kicking up. I felt very weird all the time and just vaguely like dissociated. And I realized after it took a while, but then I got diagnosed with uh, depersonalization, derealization syndrome, which they just changed the name. It used to be depersonalization disorder uh, which no one really knew. No one really knows what it was. I've had to like teach it to doctors, and psychiatrists, and um, but it was a really hard year. And I I was doing a, re- a social work research job from home, and and just kind of struggling to get through a day. Uh, My favorite part of the day was going to uh, my CrossFit class. I had gotten to a point in my anxiety where I've always been a runner and running was starting to be very scary because like outside just felt like this like dream land in my anxious, you know, um, dissociative kind of realm. And so I, started going to an indoor CrossFit gym and it was like my main thing I looked forward to every day and that, and like the acting class I was taking to um, cause I had always liked acting and just was trying to find things that I wanted to made me want to get up in the morning. And, and I realized that just for my own mental health, being on my feet and being more active and uh, was really what was going to serve me the best at the time. And so I got into, Teaching fitness, Uh, I got my CrossFit cert, um, which is expiring, and I'm renewing it through a different, through NASM, uh, because there's a lot of stuff I like about CrossFit, but there's a lot of stuff I also do not, Uh, and, um, but yeah, so I got into fitness that way, and then kind of like the longer I stayed in that, in that field, I, I started noticing a lot of, sort of looking at it through a social work lens, I guess, and seeing Okay, well I feel like there's maybe a human behavior piece that we're missing here when we're prescribing like diet and exercise but people aren't sticking around. Like what why is that? And and at the same time I started healing myself from a lot of the origins of why I felt so disconnected from my body which included an eating disorder that I had just kind of brushed under the rug or felt like it's not that serious uh, for like you know twenty years and and as I healed from that and started intuitive eating and connecting to my body, a lot of pieces started coming together uh, for my personal life and then also as I was training clients and noticing how other people are disconnecting from their bodies and and how you know maybe the reason that we're in such a cycling a cyclical culture of you know six week boot camp stop going to the gym like obsessive things then stop it is because it's all coming from the brain and not the body so kind of my personal experience like my professional experience everything has kind of come together for what I'm doing now which is a lot of uh you know I call myself a trauma informed trainer and Generally, my niche is working with people who don't feel safe exercising for one reason or another, have a damaged relationship with it, feel checked out of their bodies. Uh, people for whom diet culture has run the spectrum from full-blown eating disorder in the past to um, to just something that doesn't feel good and they don't want anything to do with. So, <laughs> you know, it's been a circuitous journey since. 2013 uh but yeah it's a very it's a very rewarding area to be in
1: oh I can't keep thinking I keep thinking and I can't get out of my head the phrase you said where people are doing things from their brain and not their body I've mm-hmm. never heard anyone say it like that before mm-hmm. but that couldn't be more hit nail on head thing at all that's mm-hmm. so it that we're so i call it the the external the extrinsic motivation mm-hmm. but that's that's a huge part of it they're doing it because logically i think i should be doing this but disregarding anything from the neck down in the process mm-hmm. do you think
0: yeah the should is a big kind of is a big piece and not that we totally have to eliminate that there are very strong health and mental health benefits from working out. And that is something that will feel good. But I find that any type of conditioned thoughts that come in around, I should be doing this, my doctor wants me to do this, my someone else told me to do this, the fitness influencer, all, all that kind of stuff. Or, or like, I just have to get through this to check off this box. Uh, all of those things just really keep us in our kind of obsessive, intrusive thinking brain where where I've noticed a lot of people and not just people I train but friends I have who follow me and realize what I'm doing and and um, you know I've I realized that there are a lot of people who it, you know when you try to kind of check in with body sensations don't really know how to describe them don't know what's happening feel really disconnected I've talked to a lot of people who feel like the different parts of their body don't exist. And not, not even in like a, you know, they've been diagnosed with depersonalization. Depersonalization is that is a feeling of like acute disconnection from your body. Uh, but just a sense of, Oh, I just always walked around and felt like my torso doesn't exist. I'm just like a head on legs or like, or, um, you know, I feel like this is just someone else walking around and I'm the brain and, uh, and that's you know a little bit of the more extreme direction but there's but then also asking someone like well how do your what what's going on in your feet or what's going on in your hands and and you know needing to supply the the words that people can choose from because we're it's just not something that we're taught from a young age to be like okay well there's like what temperature is here and what kind of pressures is here tension and um yeah i it's a I think it's a big reason why you know our should thoughts are generally a shame based motivation and what I say about shame based motivation is that it's very effective for a very short period of time, which is why I think people come back to it and people use it and I would consider you know anything that is um focusing on needing to change our bodies is shame based motivation. Uh, But long term, because it's like just tuned out of the body and just a thought process, I don't find it effective.
1: Do you think people feel disconnected from their body as well? Because they don't necessarily see their body as permanent. They feel Mm -hmm. like, oh, this isn't the shape I want to be. Just as you were saying this, just thinking, I wonder if people don't feel like a head on legs, because Mm -hmm. they're kind of like, because this isn't this isn't the perfect body I want to inhabit. This isn't the body I should have. You know, I don't want to get too comfortable being a certain size because I'm going to get smaller. I'm going to have leaner abs. I'm going to have a bigger butt. I'm going to have these like defined arms. Then I'll be connected to my body Mm -hmm. because then it will look what I consider to be the body I should inhabit. And the part of the disconnection is like, I don't want to get too comfortable here because if I'm comfortable here, then you know I'm you know accepting defeat Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in a way and I think that comes from our like fat phobic brain of going like ah you know I should look like a model um Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah what do you think about that that's me just kind of going off what you said there but
0: yeah I I think you know one one of my big problems with diet culture is this, and, and which comes from a fat phobic culture very much, obviously we know that, uh, but the is the kind of mental gymnastics it forces us to do where it is like, it will be easier to feel safer in my body in the future. So I'm not going to worry about it right now. Like I'll just obsess about getting there and then I'll be safer. And to be completely honest, like honestly, yeah, like thinner bodies are, much safer from discrimination in our culture. So that isn't wrong or invalid to feel that way, but it is reinforcing a consistent habit of never being present. Because once we get to a certain body size, then, then like the obsession can continue just on, Oh, I have to stay here or else I'm going to, my whole life will be ruined. Like I'm safe now. And, and, you know, the, the, the part of the brain that like wants to feel safe and wants to feel belonging and wants to feel accepted. Like that's a survival mechanism of living as a, you know, the type of pack animal that humans are. So like being scared, you're going to not get to a space where you're safe or not hold on to that space. Once you're there, like that can be, be like a dominant way of life. And as opposed to creating the habit today of, checking in, feeling safe, challenging the conditioned thoughts and continuing that habit going forward, no matter what size we're at, which is, it's not easy. And one thing I've noticed also, as I've done, I'm hoping to do more of these coming up, um, definitely one over the holidays, but doing like movement for mindful movement for like body connection, uh, workshop or one-on-one work is that uh, there is a lot of grief. Also, I can tell when I'm working with someone, even, even clients who come to me just, just for like physical, personal training, and they want a safe space and they'll talk to you about their relationship with their body. And a lot of people in a free consultation with me will start crying. And, and it's, it's just that there's not we don't have that safety that that we need to celebrate our own bodies and each other's bodies and when we're given those safe spaces there's a lot of grief that comes up and a lot of realizing oh my gosh like this is this <laughs> i can't believe i i this is how i've lived my whole life and this and not just that but this is how everyone is living so um yeah kind of getting present with the body we you know can talk about it theoretically but in practice it is it's going to kick up some stuff for a lot of us uh, because of how much we've been holding there and not accessing out of wanting to feel safe
1: it's so true and the grief element I think can feel really real I know I felt it as I've gone through my own experience of kind of reconnecting with my body and and healing my relationship with movement and and with my, with myself and like learning to accept myself, and I also know that my body holds a lot of privilege. So I know that that we're completely different experience for people in different bodies as well. Um, it's I think it's really interesting how we hold on to so much of that because we're just, and we can almost like numb being in our body through exercise. Do you, mm-hmm. have you found that, you know, like, and this kind of relates to me to the phrase, you know, exercise is my therapy mm. where people use exercise as a soul outlet mm-hmm. for their emotions. And yet sometimes I think what, may be considered as an outlet for emotions you're not even allowing space for your body to feel the emotion because you're feeling the exercise you're you're doing the run Mm -hmm. um you know you're you're not always embracing the stillness that is required to feel and stillness is scary (laughs) Mm-hmm. Stillness is terrifying when you're used to distracting yourself with all these other things because no one wants to feel unhappy um and this has been my own personal thing i'm really speaking from personal experience here of yep. 2020 being this year of like okay i'm going to have to of doing therapy and realizing that oh, okay there's nowhere to hide here nothing to distract me anymore i'm going to have to just face this stuff head on mm-hmm. um and be and being is really hard and I so I think that whole exercise therapy keep pushing through keep trying to attain this certain body is just a way to distract numb ourselves from a reality mm-hmm. or a feeling that we have been pushing down and pushing down and pushing down has that been your experience mm-hmm. and like personally and then yeah professionally as well
0: Definitely, personally, I, when you're talking about stillness, feeling like overwhelming and anxiety producing, this is the story of my life. I, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, specifically because I I do still kind of uh, struggle with, I mean, I've had anxiety my entire life and I, I've literally tried everything you know and that's and the kind of dissociative stuff I still I still cope I still deal with and being really still for me is very activating and scary and so I practice a lot of mindfulness and movement um and also definitely when I was talking about kind of going through that period of my life where I was getting really into CrossFit for the first time I uh I absolutely was just addicted to the high and it was just, I want to feel good. And, you know, I don't judge people for that specifically because from my own experience, like I do think in a certain, some ways that saved my life. Like I was in a very bad place and it was giving me a reason to get up. Longer term, it was having, it, w- it was harming my health eventually and needed to be addressed. Um, but when we're at, you know, that when I was at that rock bottom place, um, having any source that could feel, make me feel anything besides numb was a relief. And, and, you know, going forward now, it's something I have to keep an eye on myself because yeah, I'll some days feel like that physical anxiety coming up and just know that if I go do a 20 minute AMRAP, uh, it work really hard and like try and get super out of breath and get, you know, a runner's high or what, you know, uh, or the same thing that happens with like HIIT training sometimes, that kind of high, like I will, that anxiety will go away, but it's probably, or not probably, but sometimes on that day, it's not the best thing that's going to be helpful for my body. I've realized over since the pandemic started and I got really sick at the beginning of the pandemic and had to start taking it easy for a while, I realized that actually my like optimal training of high intensity um, which I still you know do I still allow myself to do but my optimal like training for my my own health and my relationship with my body is much less than I have been doing it is not it is it's not every day it's not six days a week it's not five days a week it's not even mostly four days a week I think like three days a week of really hitting that high intensity for me um, coming from someone who had been doing it every single day uh, is, you know, much more what works for me. And, and the rest of the time, it's uh, I need to be practicing other coping mechanisms because as I just, uh, I'm not sure if you had seen this, but I sprained my ankle in September and we're always going to be going through periods of life where our capacity for movement is going to shift and uh, we're going to have to figure out how to make it work. And I felt very lucky that uh, I have worked so hard on this, that sitting on my couch for a while uh, and figuring out, you know, after after I could move a little bit, uh, doing some upper body and core work and kind of getting into it that way. But uh, in a very low pressure way, it didn't feel like the end of the world where, you know, 2014, 2015, if you had put me on a couch for a couple of weeks, I would have lost my mind. So yeah, I I think I, I, I've seen a lot of people talk in the anti-diet sphere about like movement is therapeutic, but it isn't therapy. And I 100% mm. agree with that.
1: Mm. Yeah, I actually saw a post you did about this kind of recently about how you said, and I'm gonna obviously paraphrase you, so feel free to correct me. Okay. <laughs> you kind of said um, that the idea that... Um, you know, you're always going to feel better after a workout, like no matter what is unhelpful. And Mm -hmm. that sometimes actually what's going to help you feel better isn't necessarily a workout in that moment. And that you kind of realize that with your illness um, in 2020 and and coming out of that, you know, uh, you, if you want to expand on those Mm -hmm. thoughts, because like I said, I'm so paraphrasing you. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, so that's a very... I don't find it helpful. I find, like, you're always going to feel better after workout. And to be honest, yeah, it's something I used to say. <laughs> like Yeah. I think we've all, like, we've, we learn better, we do better. But, um, you know, not only is it potentially fostering an exercise addiction, but I think it's incredibly able-bodied centric.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you know, and from my personal experience, kind of having the mystery virus I had, I don't know if it was COVID or mono or what it was, but... Um, you know, cause we were all super locked down. I didn't qualify for testing at the time, uh, but it developed into chronic fatigue for a solid six months, um, before it started kind of abating. and I would go into an intense workout. I would cut way back on, on how much intense workouts I was doing. I would really only do them with the classes I was coaching online. Um, and I would feel great going in. I would feel, pretty okay during, might start getting shaky towards the end. And then I would be exhausted for days and feel all of my old like symptoms coming back, like achy and, and not just like sore, but like unwell. And, and so just that specific experience is one drop in the bucket. I mean, people who have chronic illness of all kinds or are coping with, you know, Injury recovery, or are kind of dancing the line of almost developing an overuse injury. Uh, it's just not true that working out is going to make everyone feel better. Um, one of the many reasons why the no excuses mentality is just a load of
1: crap. It is a load of crap. Um, and there are also other really great reframes that you talk about a lot and just the way you kind of have had to make a mindset shift around the way you approach training and the way you encourage your clients like what are the key ones for you um whether it be like that you know letting go of that no excuses mentality um what else have you kind of learned and and had to kind of yeah re redefine for you
0: so the the biggest reframe that kind of informs all of the rest of them is generally noticing the thoughts, watching them pass, checking into the body and reacting based on body sensations and body cues. And that kind of overarching one uh, is generally like informing the rest of them. I think that that's something that is a skill that also can be used not just for, exercise or movement. Uh, but you know, for eating, like I actually intuitive eating was very helpful for my personal journey to learn how to access body cues that I had been ignoring since my modeling career started when I was 14. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, and you know, and not just that, but also like sex and touch and physical touch with other people. Um, I, I've, taken a lot of, uh, courses, courses from a friend who is a sex and embodiment coach, uh, who teaches a similar thing to what I teach around movement, which is like a lot of the time we're doing what we think we should be doing as opposed to what our body feels safest doing. And, you know, in, in all of those things like movement, food, sex, it can be really confusing and really frustrating, when we feel like, well, I don't understand why this is happening or like, why is my body wanting to shut down from this? Or, you know, I loved hiking and now I can't like every time I think about going hiking, there's a huge block there. And whereas I think traditional like fitness would say, just get it done. You'll feel better after blah, blah, blah. I think that that is just fostering a big disconnection. Like there's a lot of curiosity that needs to be present there And it doesn't mean that you won't end up going for the hike, but it means that the tuning in and the accessing safety and calming the nervous system in the moment and getting curious about what actually wants to happen if there's a block there, uh, that should be the priority and not just like checking off the box that's going to have us getting farther away from that innate trust with ourselves. Uh, So that's kind of the biggest reframe I think that informs everything else uh, for me. And then, you know, everything else that I've kind of noticed around diet culture is that it's kind of pushing us in that opposite direction of we are stuck at an end result. Let's work backwards and try to make these behaviors fit rather than Forget the end result. What actually feels best and is most aligned, because that will probably keep us in the healthiest, both mentally, physically, and mental health is always part of phys- phys- uh, is always part of health. Um, but that will probably keep us in the in the best space for the long run.
1: How do you encourage people to like to make those changes to to reconnect with? their body because I completely agree with everything you're saying I mean Mm -hmm. I think it's so true that when we're doing what we think we should be doing we work and specifically diet culture really encourages us to work against ourselves to Mm -hmm. to do it in spite of your body whereas intuitive movement what I do and I think what you're really specifically doing is teaching people how to work with their body and understand Mm -hmm. the nuances of their body and and figure out you know how to best care for it, rest it, work it. Like, but how do you do that? I think people listening it? like that's like the magic question. <laughs> like, hey, this is great, but how? Yeah. So a couple ways. So
0: one practice I think is really important is examining your relationship with your own thoughts. Uh, so mindfulness meditation. Um, Any of those types of things can really start helping you notice what thoughts are the stickiest and what thoughts just come and pass and how essentially they're the same. They're all just thoughts. Um, So that would be the kind of adjusting for the intrusive brain aspect of it, but the actually getting into the body. So one thing I love is like shaking, jiggling, dancing, alone at home. If you're comfortable in a group, like doing an ecstatic dance, or for me, this was, this was what pole dancing provided for me, where you're so encouraged to just express. And there's not really any rules, like even without choreography, like just dancing around your home. I've noticed that there can be this self-editor around even movement when we're alone. So if you're like, oh, well, like, you know, this movement is okay. Or like, maybe this would look good. Or I know for me growing up, not being a dancer, whenever I would dance, I'd be like, well, what, what's going to look good? And what, uh, like how how do I look right now rather than like how does this feel? How's my body want to express, and that constant self editor and so I think developing a relationship with that, both how it's feeling and that self editor can start kind of informing how to find that freedom and movement and one thing I love about pole dancing specifically, even though it is there's a lot of choreo, there's also freestyle dance, but you are so encouraged to just go for it. And specifically I went, I'm going to give them a shout out secret pole dance studio in Culver city in LA, um, black women owned uh, pole studio and just the most supportive body inclusive space of, you know, people who identify as women in their underwear uh, all, all body sizes, all types just like grinding, <laughs> and it's so freeing, and it was so for me just like so such a big part of unlearning all of this all of my self editor, all of my good girl stuff from growing up in a conservative town and just like being letting my body be free uh, so that's a big one I would say is like start dancing around your house or just shaking, jumping up and down like. Trying to feel what your fingers want to do, what your elbows want to do, what your arms want to do, put on a song and 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 also notice what comes up in your brain during that time because those patterns are definitely happening in other ways. So um, identifying urges as well is a, is a big one. so kind of checking in and if there's a well, I should go to the gym. Um, but my urge is blank. Really, actually giving validity to that urge and being curious about it, and noticing where it comes from. How do I know I'm having that urge? Um, or when I do want to go for a walk, if I do want to get up and stretch my legs because I've been sitting at a desk, how do I know I'm having that urge? How does it register? You know, for me personally, Like I want to just shake, like my body just starts feeling fidgety and restless, or I'm craving the air outside. And so noticing these things that, you know, because we all a lot, not all of us, but a lot of people work at desks like 40 to 70 hours a week. You know, we aren't always, it doesn't make sense to always listen to those urges. And over time, we just kind of ignore them. But, you know, I I think I... I wrote a post about this maybe like six months ago, which was like, if you've ever had the urge to stand up from your desk and shake your legs out, like then you have an intuitive urge to move. And mm. um, also noticing that not everybody, you know, um, can stand and shake their legs out, but, uh, you know, shake your arms or shake every shake, whatever, just to get a little bit of movement, you know, those types of things like noticing and validating them, uh, yeah, I think those are kind of where I would start and then kind of build from there.
1: I think they're great starting points. I think the dancing one is so true as well, because everyone can just put a song on in their kitchen, dance around. And I don't know about you, but I'd probably recommend like, don't do it in front of a mirror because then you are, yeah, like don't, yeah, don't do that to yourself. Just, just be and have fun with it. Um, because that whole self-editing thing you're talking about is that self-objectification, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's that thing that says, okay, but how do I look to other people? And do you know, are you on TikTok? Vaguely. <laughs>
0: not. I don't, I don't have much of a presence there, but I do get on it from time to time. Okay.
1: Well, I've seen this really like worrying trend that I didn't know people did. And I, I'm sure people have done it for a long time, but it's girls who wear an outfit and then they film themselves and they they film themselves I watched this girl do it she did the thing where she like filmed herself from the side from the front as if she was like talking to someone holding a drink how it looked like if she danced because she's filming herself to see if her outfit and see what she looked like from all angles to other people before she would go out and actually be out and having fun on a night out so it's essentially like And then it's like liked by tens of thousands of people going, oh my goodness, I do this too. And it breaks my heart because it's just like, oh, we're all just so, the world has taught us to be so concerned with what we look like to other people um, Mm -hmm. that there's no spontaneity and just being present in the moment when you're going dancing with friends or you're like going to a bar for a drink. Like everything is so, do you know what I mean? And Mm it kind of makes me think of that, rigidity you kind of spoke about and and that like uptightness of just not truly being yourself in those moments like I feel like a lot of it comes down to that like I'm being who I think other people want me to Mm -hmm. be rather than being myself
0: yeah we are not meant to have as many mirrors and cameras around us as humans that's what I believe I think we uh, are not, me meant, too. We're not meant to have this many mirrors and cameras. We are not meant to be avatars in other people's lives. Uh, I think that type of thing, I hadn't heard of that or seen that, what you're talking about on TikTok. I mean, that's just, first of all, incredibly exhausting. Sounds incredibly exhausting. And then also, you know, my personal Kind of like biggest drive is I want to of of that like kind of drives everything for me in my relationship with myself is I want to heal from chronic depersonalization. Uh, that is my number one priority, and I notice the things that help me do that, and one of the, I can tell you the thing that would acutely make it worse is that what you just described, (laughs) because actually, you know, uh, having, um, out of body experiences, that's like, that is like literally a sense of an out of body experience that is happening externally instead of internally, where you're like, I'm going to look at myself from all possible angles and obsess about that. I mean honestly with with my brain, I would worry if i that if I did that enough that I would be sitting on the couch one day and pop out of my body and turn around and look at myself, which is a type of depersonalization and an out of body experience that people do have, so I have no interest in ever doing something like that. um it's just not how we're meant to live it's like.
1: I can't oh, yeah. think in any which way it could be remotely healthy or helpful for our own self-esteem and for our own mental health. I just don't see there being really any positive to it um, in, in the way yeah. that it was like so analytical of, of being. Um, yeah, it just really shocked me and saddened me the other day that there were so many people kind of going, oh yeah, agreeing with this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're not on TikTok then things will surprise you on the app like it teaches me things all the time and I'm like what people yes. are doing this and I'm sure people and I'm sure it's not a generational thing. I'm sure it's people my age have done it too and will continue to do it but I agree I I don't think it's helpful in any way. Mhm.
0: I think yeah, we've all done it in in different generations in 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 different ways and mm. this is apparently the way we're doing it now
1: I guess. I know I know it, it it's bad it's bad and it makes me think um you are based in LA and I saw you did a series recently about like called basically having a body in Hollywood and I found that mm-hmm. so interesting and I'm curious why you wanted to do that series and mm-hmm. what it is you know from an outsider's perspective I i'm sure i've spoken about my love of real housewives of beverly hills on this podcast but it's one of my favorite things right now um and just always had you know an interest in celebrity and all of that kind of stuff i find it all really interesting and the fixation and a lot of what you know i've aspired to be growing up you know the beauty and body standard felt like it came from la it came from hollywood What's it like mm. to actually live there? And does mm-hmm. it feel at times just as, um, yeah, just does it, do you feel the pressure in environments, especially working in fitness and trying to go against that whole grain mm. of diet culture and, you know, those body and beauty mm-hmm. standards? What is that like?
0: Yeah. I... Wanted to do that series um, that I called On Having a Human Body in Hollywood because, you know, I have also been in the acting and improv industry since I've been in L.A. And, uh, you know, improv, not so much pressure there. Uh, Just, you know, people want to laugh and that's fine. Uh, You also don't get paid to do improv most of the time. So uh, what I have noticed, I think the a big problem that happens is gatekeeping in Hollywood. And then there is a cycle that happens. So, and also this is informed by having worked, worked out alongside celebrities, um, met celebrities and heard their stories about their own relationships with their bodies. And just realized that the, the figures we are worshiping on the covers of magazines don't have the greatest relationship with their bodies. And also celebrity culture is very based on projects which have an end date. And so I think this is really a microcosm of our weight cycling culture where, you know, these diets that get, I hate freaking celebrity diets. And I don't blame the celebrities for this. I blame their trainers and I blame the tabloids uh, because we don't need to know what happens is that the, the, most of these people are on a diet for a project and that project will end. So it isn't a forever thing. Like some people are, but I know like, um, there, some people are like on a certain like quote lifestyle that they'll, they have their trainer and their chef and makes it much more sustainable for their lives. But, but a lot of times it's that like, um, kamil Nanjiani got, ripped
1: for this exactly who I was thinking of yeah exactly who I was thinking of and he specifically
0: said if I had not had the resources of a studio behind me that I could not have done this did that keep his trainer from saying everything that he did to like men's health or whatever magazine it was and then them printing it no he of course went and did that and then people are going to read that and say like oh I should do that too why can't I hold on to it um you know, Zac Efron has talked about how, uh, cutting out carbs for Baywatch or, or specifically whatever diet he did for Baywatch. He definitely is
1: absolutely didn't eat miserable. a lot carbs because then there was the, in his program, he ate carbs and cried because it was so good. And he hadn't had meat for like, like yeah months to a year.
0: Yeah. And then I was working out, um, a couple of years ago, I met a celebrity who was training for a role and who talked to me about a previous role he'd trained for where he was eating like 600 calories a day. And wow. I was like, oh, I remember when that movie came out and he was on the cover of all of the magazines. And I'm like, this is like, we're, we're not putting people on the cover of magazines because they have a great relationship with their bodies and they're actually healthy. We're putting them on the cover of magazines because they fit what we have been conditioned to believe is healthy. and." And so what the cycle in Hollywood then also happens is that because everyone has weight stigma, then casting directors are incorporating their weight stigma into casting choices. Writers are incorporating their weight stigma into how they describe characters. Breakdowns that are put up on audition notices where, so breakdowns are a role and it will say like, Linda, early 20s, petite, uh, blonde. Uh, beautiful but doesn't know it you know that type type of thing like it infiltrates at all levels and then what happens is the product that's output is anyone who gets cast as a prodigy is a tiny wasted woman and Mm -hmm. we make these connections across America in our mind of the tiny wasted person is the ingenue in Hollywood she's the glamorous icon and so it's this cycle that is just so gross to me And also harms actors directly because of the feedback that they get from these people in in audition rooms. And I I, I don't think I know any actor who hasn't directly received some type of weight stigma, regardless of their body size, verbally from a casting director or an agent or a manager. Oh my gosh, I'm getting out of breath.
1: (laughs) I think you're right. It's one of those things where I think, we do get frustrated at celebrities and actors because we feel like they're portraying this unrealistic beauty and body standard. And, and I think in some instances, like I get why people are mad at Kim Kardashian and I know mm. she's not an actress because she's directly profiting off of, you know, selling weight loss supplements or mm-hmm. promoting various, very problematic diet culture products. Um, So I get that, but I also think, These are also human beings who have been told that their appearance is so tied to their value, not only as a person, but their literal value Mm -hmm. in terms of financial value and their career and their income and their place in the world, that it's understandable that they are um, unusually focused and hyper-focused, should I say. On the way they look because mm-hmm. they're surrounded. They're in an industry that, you know, always talks about and praises the way they look. Um, what I have found watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and obviously these women are generally like in their forties, fifties. Some of them in their sixties. Um, what I found really interesting is the obsession with youth, and mm. really how it feels that youth equals relevance equals a career like you just you're still um you still have something you know to to do you still have a job you still have an income you you're able to pay your bills if you look youthful and how that can be a huge part of that beauty standard as well as not just like being in a small body but a small body does generally equal a younger body, but then your skin has to look a certain way and your face has to look a certain way. And it just feels like this ever growing cycle that kind of seems to like, does anyone ever reach the pinnacle? I don't think so, because mm-hmm. it's there's always going to be something else. Mm-hmm. It's
0: also very misogynistic, because Mm. as we see with the silver foxes of Hollywood, this is not that they are immune from any type of these pressures, but the fact that there's term called a silver fox but for women it's cougar I think I mean like it's definitely very much a woman-oriented thing that we are supposed to age in a certain way and I I think that also like can probably be drawn directly drawn back to the fact that like we're supposed to reproduce and during these ages and we're supposed to be attractive to men
1: and it's yeah it's exhausting (laughs) I didn't expect to reference Real Housewives this much today but, um, <laughs> but it is interesting like all the husbands of the housewives who seem to are actually getting older but I swear they get younger and younger like visually yeah. each series um and their husbands are going greyer and grayer and you know not disheveled but in comparison to their like overly glamorous partners mm-hmm. um it's so interesting to just see that almost that double standard, just literally side by side and think, wow, this is yeah. such an example of how men and women have it different. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it is not the same. It is not the same. Don't get me wrong. Like I appreciate there are, there are pressures on people's bodies. And I think what I found with the Kumar, um talking about his sort of body transformation is the then pressure he felt to maintain it. Mm -hmm. and the pressure he felt to oh now I've people treat me differently now I'm all muscly and you know he's visibly kind of muscly and um you know people treat me differently and oh there's like this sort of hotness I've been given and I want to keep that um and so that's always interesting because it's the other thing with Hollywood I imagine they put people on these certain regimes thinking short term because there's a project right and they probably like wipe their hands clean of them once the contract is up for the film for the role and then that person is left to then navigate their relationship with their food and exercise and their body that has been hugely disrupted mm-hmm. by a role mm-hmm.
0: oh yeah I, that yeah and you know, what's interesting about Los Angeles is there are there are a lot of different parts of LA. So I will say that not everything is like the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yeah. Oh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but we all, everyone feels the effects of that, obviously. Mm. Uh, and what you said about men not getting it as much as women, I think about how, um, Jack Black's Instagram videos, uh, where he is uh, almost naked and jumping in pools and kind of dancing around how those are received so differently from women who live in fat bodies and show themselves on Instagram. And that, you know, is just, it's such a huge, huge problem. And again, like, goes back to this misogynistic culture
1: absolutely there is a massive double standard and I think um I just think of the extreme scrutiny that people like Adele and Lizzo are you know the headlines about them recently and I think Adele who's never even really spoken about her body but yet there has been so much talk about her body just goes to show Mm -hmm. how you know regardless of whether people invite the conversation or not, there is a conversation being had Mm -hmm. and that's not the same for everyone else. Um, And it can't be done right. There's no right
0: way to comment on someone else's body. So the mm -hmm. best habit is just to not do it and leave their bodies alone. I mean, I know one thing in in anti-diet culture that we also talk about is body autonomy and, people have the right to make decisions for their own bodies and the fact that a celebrity's body change is so widely discussed uh, and so widely reported on specifically by tabloids I think is it's and 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 then but people click on it too so it's like what is the the, the supply is there the supply is a problem and then the demand is also a problem so I mean we're just you know, we have to examine our own roles in this culture of commenting on bodies and gawking at weight transformations, um, regardless of if they're gaining or losing or plastic surgery before and afters. And uh yeah, we all have a place in not clicking on those articles, not buying those magazines.
1: And hopefully, I think yeah. definitely, I, th- I think you're so right that, you know, that people are only writing the stuff that they think people are going to read so if we don't Mm. read it if we don't talk about it um and yeah I mean even in even in certain discussions around whether people talk about Adele or whatever I think there's I really appreciate people who do write about certain things but certain things I wouldn't even I don't like to talk about them so much on uh you know where there's been a controversy about someone's body or something and it's a good topic to create Instagram content around and Mm -hmm. I appreciate some people I know do it really well but at the same time I kind of think the more I draw attention to something negative especially in this thing to 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 you know refute it or whatever are we just are people finding out even how many experience am I spreading the message the original Mm -hmm. message even further and is that is that as helpful I don't know I don't know and I I generally I really pick and choose the kind of things I would you know give my kind of two cents on because firstly I don't think everything deserves my two cents Mm -hmm. and secondly I think there's sometimes we're still you know oh there's this Daily Mail article about XYZ and they said this awful thing but then we're still sending everyone to the Daily Mail article right so it's Mm -hmm. like oh I don't know it can feel icky
0: yeah, I actually just put up a post where I referenced a term about the body that a couple people commented. They're like, "I had never heard that." So I Googled it, and I was like, "Oh crap! I'm so sorry. I did not mean to introduce people to that term." Um, because exactly what you're saying, and you know, I this is not totally related to to fitness and bodies, but uh, I was just, I was listening to a podcast episode. I think it was Freakonomics the other day while I was driving. And it was talking about why U.S. media is so negative. And it talked about a study showing how any article in, that, in the headline targets an out group. So assume, assumes there's an in-group and targets an out-group, gets more clicks and goes more viral. So anything that's us versus them in a headline gets clicked on way more. And that's kind of a... Instinct I had had that I was like, why are you know this 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 phenomenon of like blank person annihilates blank person on an in an interview or this person slams this person, but it's just like this like this person is bad, this person is good, and and I've tried to be more mindful about that of like railing against certain things just not just for clicks. I don't want to say that because a lot of times it's like you feel passionately about something, but I just don't love the culture of, uh, of people hating on each other and being like, I'm right. And you're wrong. And, and knowing now after listening to this podcast, there's actually research behind like how addictive it is to make other people wrong. (laughs) I even more so like, don't want to be involved in it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, yeah
0: not to say I won't still do it sometimes um because Just we pick do and have- choose your moment yeah
1: exactly <laughs> pick and choose be selective um I kind of wrapping up that discussion around Hollywood and everything if there were some things you could change about that culture around health and fitness and wellness mm-hmm. in LA what would it be like what do you see that you know, I imagine that if everyone felt more connected to their bodies and had a more peaceful relationship with, with everything, it could, yeah. things could be, people might be happier. What do you think?
0: For, sh- for sure, I agree. Uh, take the mirrors out of gyms. Mm-hmm. I know that sometimes they're necessary for form checks, but I think there's way too many of them. So take the mirrors out of gyms uh, or at least reduce the number. Then take those stupid posters off the walls that are marketing weight loss. Anything that markets before and afters or body transformations, get rid of it. Uh, Take out all of the diet crap that is being sold in gyms. And If we're focusing on people's health, we have to prioritize the mind body relationship because that's the one we're going to have forever. So, yeah, I mean, maybe also like having more statements of inclusivity, like all bodies are welcome here. Um, a lot of gyms in LA are doing that much better around um, the LGBTQIA uh, uh, community. And I would love to see that also done around body size and body type and that like we're Mm. not going to try to change you we're going to try we're going to help you foster a more connected and uh, loving and refreshing and empowering relationship with your body we hope you find what you're looking for
1: here I think we could have that in London as well, to be honest. I think mm. we could do that all over.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I think
1: there's so scope for, yeah, really, I I do see a shift and I think maybe a little bit less before and after marketing, but I do think that there are people that seem to really want to do that and I feel like it's quite old school these days. But at the same time, really making the shift to for people to feel seen, in in marketing i know there's mm-hmm. a gym um i think it's a pure gym which is like a big gym chain in the whole of the uk and all their imagery has been has looked like people who i see going to the gym just normal everyday people they're not like these fitness athlete model people it's just mm-hmm. normal people and mm-hmm. i think it's really refreshing to kind of see because i really do believe if you see people who look like you doing something then you're going to feel more welcome and Mm -hmm. it's going to feel like a place where you could go and it's not just for like super fit, you know, beautiful people as I Mm -hmm. think fitness has felt like for a very long time, like an exclusive club Mm -hmm. and we need to change that narrative.
0: Which that makes me think of another thing I would love to see, which is hiring trainers of all sizes. Oh, me too. Taking pressure off of trainers. I... I almost started working at a gym and then after there was too many red flags, one of them being they wouldn't let trainers eat muffins or they, they restricted what trainers could eat on the floor.
1: Wow. They could eat
0: certain things, but not, they couldn't eat anything that was like, I don't know, I don't even want to get into labels, but, uh, yeah, I didn't end up working at that gym longer than a week. Uh, Uh, so, but because I, because I think that's important too, like there's a problem when then, you know, bodies of all sizes are in the marketing materials, but you know, you show up in bodies of all sizes are not there. Yes. Uh,
1: yeah. It has to be across the board. It has to be, it can't be one or the other. It needs to be across the board. Um, and I don't know if you get this, but I get a lot of people saying, you know, oh, I'm really scared of becoming a personal trainer because I don't feel like there are people who look like me mm-hmm. or, you know. I feel like I'm not, people are going to judge me and think I'm not very good at my job. And I'll be honest, I feel like that sometimes too. I feel, you know, mm. I will teach, go to teach a spin class and I walk in and I think, I bet there are people in this room who think like, oh, she probably isn't that mm. fit because they're holding on to their narratives and their narratives I've held. So I feel like, oh, maybe they're thinking that too. And then I just kind of go, well, I'm going to prove them wrong. And that's my job today is like, I'm going to, mm. I know I'm really good at my job, so I'm just mm-hmm. gonna do my thing. Um, and I, and I, so I, I really get that feeling because I feel it too. But I think you have to kind of build your confidence in yourself to go. Do you know what? I'm really good at what I do. I know mm-hmm. my stuff. I can do this. Um, but we need, I think, to help people initially enter the industry. It would be so good if there were role models and mentors to look up to who'd already kind of paved the way so we really Mm -hmm. need to like yeah we need to get this going
0: yeah and totally I I have felt like that before as well uh going back to coach after I got vaccinated which is when I felt safe going back in person and having gained weight over the course of the year and I'm like yeah are people going to have certain comments and also having to remind myself like repeatedly that sure, my fitness was one, was one thing. My body type is one thing. My fitness is one thing. They're not necessarily connected. And also my ability to coach and teach other people and be a good leader is not dictated by my personal level of fitness. That's something that I actually learned really early on coaching CrossFit and like not being able to do a muscle up. And honestly, my first year of coaching CrossFit, there was a mass exodus from the gym I coached at because people did not want me to coach because I couldn't do a muscle up. Um, I couldn't do a pull up unassisted. Uh, but I, you know, was learning how to coach and how to be an effective coach in that. And, uh, over I, over the couple of years, I had to just stop caring and be like, look, I can, I, I'm not going to teach people how to do a muscle up. I don't feel like that's a necessary thing to do for my private clients at all, but I can teach someone how to do it. I don't have to be able to do that myself. So mm. it's, there's, you know, I've all, I've seen so many trainers who are, x x X percent body fat that's super low and they are throwing hundreds of pounds overhead on their barbell and they are crap as leaders and teachers of fitness and then you know that and if that's true we have to understand that the other side is also true people who don't look the stereotypical part can be really effective in guiding others to work on their own goals so yeah, we got to take that stuff out of it.
1: Oh, I completely agree with you. I do, this whole idea that like your body is your CV and that means that makes you automatically so good gross. at your job is literally <laughs> gross. Yeah. yeah, and so inaccurate. I want to finish our conversation today um, because I've had, oh, we. I could feel like we could just talk for hours. There's so mm-hmm. many things we could discuss um, and I really, really enjoyed your insights. But before we finish, I want to know, What has been your most recent train happy moment? So
0: since I sprained my ankle, I took up swimming to rehab it. And I think jumping, I hadn't swum in years uh, besides like jumping in the ocean, but uh, I found A public pool nearby and then I also I was trying out different pool options and jumping in for the first time and swimming back and forth and noticing how just having not been in in that situation for so long and also having been cooped up on my couch for weeks and feeling the difference that oh when I'm not standing up I actually have so much more freedom of movement. Like I can swim. I can't I can't walk yet on my ankle. I'm on crutches. But in the pool I have all this freedom. And it was one of the best feelings. (laughs) It was uh, I would definitely say that was a train happy moment just to be in that be in that mode and not worried about what was so productive about it. But just feeling this freedom after having not felt it for a while.
1: Water feels so good, like so good <laughs> the, the physical feeling of just a kind of like weightlessness feeling, but also just I don't know. There is just something about it that just calms you.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Emily, where can everyone find you, support your work, and just keep up to date with all your insights? Yeah,
0: Instagram is the best bet at Emily Decker Fitness. Uh, you can always email me to emilydeckerfitness at gmail.com. Um, those are the best two ways to get in touch or keep up. Um, and yeah, shoot me a DM if you want to get on my email list. I'm hoping to hold some uh, mindful movement workshops coming up.
1: That'll and be also, amazing. Uh,
0: yeah. And I oh, yeah, also go. offer, of course, one-to-one training virtually. You can be anywhere in the world you can have any equipment (laughs)
1: perfect I will link all of that below for everyone so they can find you and support you and just keep doing what you're doing because I love it and I think it's really exciting
0: thank you so much Tali really nice to meet you
1: face to face thank you And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train happy Podcast, Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the Train Happy Trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too, and it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening, and I will speak to you soon.